So as we get going to today in Philippians chapter 4, uh, we're going to kick in, but I'd like to pray just for a moment to make sure we're all set and ready. So Lord, thank you so much for preparing us in worship already for your word to come down. You have allowed us to sing promises to you, back to you, that you've already whispered over us. Some of those promises you've not only whispered, but you've shouted so loud that we are so grateful to be your kids. Lord, we know your voice. We are so glad to be your sheep. We're so glad to be in your fold. And to, today, our desire is to listen to what you shared through Paul so that our lives can look more like yours, so that our friends can be drawn closer to you, so that our workplaces, our relationships, and our families can be more and more like you because we are there. And Lord, as we enter into a session about worry, God, I bring you your people. This is not the first time I've talked to you about them today or this week. And I just ask right now that you would set wandering hearts uh, in place and that you would help people whose concerns are ticking like a stopwatch to slow just for a moment to hear your kind words. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Now, if you watch many TV shows or movies, as we kick in, I want to show you this picture that we've seen over and over and over. In fact, I wonder when they're going to stop using this picture, but... There's usually a, a good guy or a bad guy, a good girl or a bad girl. They're on the run. They don't know where they're going, but they know what they've got to get away from. And as they, they're trying to get away, they stop at some sketchy motel on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere. Okay, you know, okay you're already with me. You know the picture. So it's a one-story motel. There's a half-flashing light outside. Some lights are burnt out. You walk into the room with them. It's kind of dingy. There's shag carpet, which was at some point in fashion. I don't know if it, it ever will be again. But they walk in. And they're all shaped the same. They have a doorway here, and then they have this big plate glass window. It's very funny to me why people on the run would hide behind a plate glass window, but they do nonetheless. And they go in, and they get a rest, and they start to relax. Maybe they grab a shower, and they have a minute to take a breather because they know that the trouble's coming, right? So as you work your way through this room, I want to draw the picture. We've got the door. We've got the window. We've got the dingy carpet, and there's a bed or two. And then in the back, there's a bathroom. And the bathroom in every one of these stories has a window about that high off the ground, and it's gonna factor into the story in just a couple minutes or a couple scenes more into the show. You with me? Okay, so they get a rest or they get a shower, and before you know it, the cartel or the police or the bounty hunters find them, and uh, chambers are, uh, are filled, they're loaded, uh, threats are issued, and you have this moment where the, the tense music starts to rise, and they come in close on the, the, uh, the good guy or the bad guy's face, and you see this look on their face like, I've gotta make a decision. I don't know what's going, trouble's brewing, but I've got to have a plan to get from where I am to where I need to be. Been there? Well, hold on. We've got to talk about your situation and their situation because they've got the bathroom window that they have a chance to go through because after the explosions have happened and people have shot up everything and all the lights kind of come back brighter, they look around and they can't find the person they're looking for because they climbed over the toilet onto the back of the sink and then they're out that window. Somehow shimmied out, fell on their head, and they ran away. All right? Now, if you've been in that situation where... Things are around you and the trouble's coming in and you're feeling it. This is the challenge with most of us. We don't have a bathroom window to climb through a lot of times. We're stuck in the room and the enemy's on the other side. That circumstance that we're fighting is over there and we have some choices to do. And the natural thing that you do if you're like me is you are tempted to worry. Can I get an amen maybe? Okay, now in that moment, what do you do? Do you charge out the window or do you do what most people do and just kind of sit down and try to figure your way out? 
Okay, I'm not sure what's going on. I'm not sure it's going to happen, but I've got these four or five things that might happen. So if this thing happens, well, I'm going to do that. And then this thing's going to happen, I'm going to do that. Well, that's good if this thing and that thing happened. But there's a chance that this thing over here happened that I didn't plan on before. So if this happens, then I've got to have a plan to go that way. And then if that happens, then I go here. And if you do this long enough, consumed in worry, you have about 900 ways out of something you have no idea what to do with. You're making plans based on who knows what. And I'll tell you, friends, while worry is normal and it's natural, worry is not healthy. And Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 4 today, friends, you're going to have a chance to worry. And God says, don't do it. So what do the worries look like? There's some people in the room like, oh, worry's not for me. That's for those kind of people who don't have their act together. Well, for some of us, there's pressure to get into the right college. That's in the news right now, right? For some people, it's not getting into the right college. It's just getting into any college. And then for some of us, it's like, can I just pass 11th grade chemistry? If I could just get there. For some of us, you have a fear of never getting married. For others, there's the fear of getting married and having that as my mother-in-law. Some of you are wondering if being married is something you can stay for very much longer. There's wondering about the job interview, if it went well. There's worrying about asking for a raise. And then there's the wondering, if I could just get out of this dead-end job, where would I go? And the last example I'll give you is that maybe you're upset because your parents tell you what to do. And sometimes you would love to be able to talk to your parents, but because they have dementia, you can't talk to them anymore other than to tell them where to get their meds again tonight after you did it last night. And then some of us, you're sitting there going, I just wish I could talk to my parents. We all have worry. We all have moments when that situation comes to us, that circumstance is before us. It's on, maybe it's in the room, but oftentimes it's right on the other side of the wall. And the reason I say it's on the other side of the drapes, on the other side of the window, is you can't fully see it, but you know it's there. And you're trying to build your plan. And if you're not careful, what you do is you just spin a web of more and more worry and tension. And you get yourself into a situation where any of these scenarios could absolutely destroy you. And in fact... You would be grateful if just one of the scenarios would happen so you didn't have to worry about the other 766 that didn't. You with me? Okay. So now that we're with it, let me make sure I get uh, early on in this. We're not talking about clinical anxiety. The text that we're going to read just in a minute says the word anxiety, but the, uh, the New International Version talks about the word worry. So if you are sitting in a situation where you feel like you may be having a heart attack, this scripture can help you in that, but will not help you totally in that, in which case I would encourage you to find the help that you need from a trained professional. Now, I'm not saying the scriptures are not good for you. The scriptures are great for you, and they will find application in your life. But there are moments when the scriptures plus a good doctor can go a long way. All right? Now, we're in this series called Eclipse, and the picture that we've been painted is the glory of God is as big as this wall and bigger, in fact. But if we're not careful, what we do is we have this problem, this circumstance, this situation that is the size of a tangerine softball or basketball that doesn't matter how big it is. In truth, what matters is how big we think it is because we get so close to it. It is so into our field of vision that it's all we can see and all we see is the shadow created that the trouble brings into our life when it crowns out God's vision. In this moment of worry, Paul says, look, there's so many things I can tell you what to do. And in this moment, when you think it's right upon you and you worry, I want to show you how to get perspective. And I'm going to go ahead and give away the, uh, the whole sermon in two words. 
Nobody does that when they preach because then you could just pack it up and go home. But there's good stuff after that So because it's from God's word, not because it's from me. But the two words that you need to know today are these two words, rejoice. Hello? Rejoice is the first one. And the next one is rethink. So rejoice and rethink, and we're gonna walk through some definitions and we're gonna talk through those. Uh, If you wanna join us in your Bible and you have a paper copy, go ahead and turn there now. If you want a paper copy, it's in front of you in the pew. Feel free to take it, and we're gonna be on page 817 today just for a little while, 817. And if, like I said, if you do need a Bible, take that one with you. We'll be glad to let that be your gift. If you would rather look online, you can look on your phone or on your device. Download the Bible app, and if you download that, then you can go to events, Fellowship Asheville, you'll have all the notes from today and some reflection questions that we prepared in advance so that you could take this lesson with you through the week and do something with it in your worrisome life, all right? Philippians chapter four, verses four through nine sound like this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of all peace will be with you. Now, we start with this idea of rejoice in the Lord. And I don't know what kind of background you came from, but rejoicing in the Lord, it's like this spiritual, did we just rejoice in the Lord? Yes. We just rejoiced in the Lord with our songs. Uh, Can we rejoice in the Lord in our cars? Yes, we can, but I don't know how that looks. So what I did is I just broke it down into its simplest form. To rejoice is to rejoy or to joy again. So the assumption is you've got something that you've been able to joy before in your life. And you may have to go all all the way back to when you were four and you got something for your birthday that was incredible, but there was a moment in your life where you experienced joy. And in this season of rejoicing, this section of rejoicing, we're gonna focus on what God has done. Okay, later we're gonna talk about on who God is, but right now we're gonna talk about what God has done. What is that moment in my life that I know God came through? Because in that moment when everything is on me in the room, rather than going fetal position and trying to just will my way out of there, what I can do is I say, you know what, God got me through before. And the same God that got me through before can get me through again. Now, he is, he is funny that way. He may not get you out of today the way he got you out of yesterday. And that's why you need to rejoice. That's why you need to rejoy. And if I say rejoy and rejoying, I say it because I want to be clear that this rejoice word that we don't know how to do very well is in a context that we do understand. So rejoying is that thing that we do when we try to Find a moment to remember what God has done and what God will do again. So, what do we do next? We have to figure out what worry is. We said worry is not clinical anxiety, but what is it? The definition that I prepared, it's more of a description than a definition. This is not in Webster. This just came between me and the Lord. Because this is the way he said, David, worry happens for you when you hand over your control keys to a concern and it takes over. You been there? Okay. Worry happens when you hand over your control keys to a concern and the concern takes over. Now, this is something you need to know. Worry is glad to drive, 
but it drives kind of like an eight-year-old, okay? Worry will drive you anywhere for any distance. You didn't plan to get there. It doesn't know when to let off the accelerator, and if it hits the brakes, you might crash. That's what worry does. It is, anybody thought about riding with an eight-year-old lady? Does that, lately, not lady, an eight-year-old lady would be a whole other different situation. Stereotype, I'm sorry, I just played it in your mind. But if you've ever ridden or thought about riding with an eight-year-old, the anxiety that should produce is actually worse than the worry of needing to get to work on time. So what do we do in that moment? The rejoicing piece is what we're supposed to do and walk with. Because that, like I said, worry doesn't know how to steer. It doesn't know when to accelerate. It hits the brakes the wrong way. And what we're going to see today are a couple of different ways to rejoice or to rejoy. The first one I want to show you, and there are two that I'm listing. There may be more, but if you'll just work with me, I've got two. The first kind of rejoying is continual rejoying. Continual rejoying, uh, you need to rejoy because certain worries are so strong and such long hauls that your joy must be persistent. Certain situations go so long and they're such, such long hauls and they're so consistent that you need to be persistent in your rejoying. You need to remember over and over how, God, how, God, how good God is. Marriage is consistent. Marriage is persistent. Marriage requires consistent rejoying. Parenting, long haul experience. There was a day, our kids were adopted, we sat down and filled out some paperwork one day and said, we're gonna be great parents. We're perfectly qualified. What were we thinking? Nobody's qualified to be a parent apart from God. We need miracles every day. And I love my children, they are blessings from God. And they provide options over and over and over for me to reclaim the joy that God gave us yesterday, knowing that he has the ability to come through for us today. Marriage is the same way. There are certain times in your marriage when you're like, God, I need you to come through. And because you came through back here, I'm so grateful that you can do that for me again. So the area that maybe you think about worrying in that's closest to you right now, where has God come through for you in the past? He's totally capable of doing it again. And what's more, he wants to because he loves you and he cares for you. The challenge is he may come through in a way that is different than the last time. And the good news is with that, when he comes through a good way this time and a good way that time, next time you need to look back, you can say, God's got lots of ways he can come through. So we rejoy continually. The next way we rejoy, and this is not rocket science, is we have incidental rejoying. It just comes time to time. You also need to rejoy incidentally because new worries pop up seemingly out of nowhere and for no reason. You ever been minding your business, thought you were going to work for one thing and experienced something totally different? You ever uh, gone out with your friends and came home and your parents had really weird looks on their faces and they made an announcement to you? There are things that will catch you by surprise, like a diagnosis. There are things that will catch you uh, unawares, like job tensions that you did not know. You did not know your coworker was not going to be here today. And now you carry the load of two people. You may not know that the relationship you had depended on for the last 20 years is now gone. Incidental rejoining. God, this is a moment when I don't know what to do. I'm trying to work all the options out in my head. I don't know what's happening. I feel like I've got an enemy. I feel like I'm under attack. I don't know what to do. And he says, my child, come close to me. I did it for you once. I will do it for you again. Because this same God can take you over a situation or he can take you through one. And either way, you have a chance to experience his love in a way like never before. But in a way that is reminiscent of what he's done before. 
Your God loves you. He cares for you. And the beauty of rejoying is when you do cry out to God, rejoying sets you up to be able to pray to him, to be able to pray a prayer that's honorable. Philippians 4, let's go back and read it again. Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand, and I put in my notes, don't get this hysterical, God is right here. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. We need to wrap our prayers of worry in rejoicing. Because prayers that are wrapped in rejoicing are reverent, they're thankful, and they make requests that are fully open to whatever God's will is. His will may be to get you over. His will may be to take you through. But prayers that are wrapped in rejoicing have the ability to honor God's ability to do whatever God chooses and allow him to be the one that's worthy of running your show and not you. Because when you see, oh, I could do this and I could do that and I could do this, or I could do this or I could do that or I could do the other, when that happens, God, I give myself to you. And regardless of what happens, I need your direction. You've come through, me, you've come through for me in the past. You can come through for me in the future. And I'm going to come to you and say, God, I need you. Oh, God, I need you. I can come to you, God, because you are the God who comes through, who has come through, who will. Because when you're praying a prayer that's wrapped in worry, you tend to be a little bit more demanding. And you do this religious, this religious thing where you just kind of tell what to go. It's like you tell, what, you tell God what to do religiously. God, do this. God, do that. And he says, look, I know where you are, child. I know the situation you're in. Trust me, walk with me. So then we come to him with a different posture and we say, God, I don't know what to do. I don't even know what you should do. But in this moment, because you are who you are and you've done what you've done, I need you to walk me through because on the other side of my window is a circumstance I don't know what to do with. Now, I just gave you a picture of what that looks like a little bit. And I told you that rejoying is this process of making sure you depend on who God, what God has done. Rethinking, on the other hand, of rejoicing helps you know who God is and how to walk through that. And I want to do a little practice. I want to tell you a story, and we'll see if you work with me. This is a very vulnerable moment because this room is looking a little tense. And if you work with me, we can have fun with this. And if we don't, I'm going to feel really out of place. So I need your help. First service did about a B+. Plus. Now, some of you, this is going to be easier to walk with me through. If you're under 45, you're with me. If you're over 45, you may be with me because you've got kids and grandkids that have been at your house with a TV on. If you don't know what's going on at all, I'll catch you up at the end. But I have a story that doesn't begin so much with a once upon a time. You gotta, if you know this story, you've got to go along with me because if you don't, again, I'm out here flipping in the wind with nothing, bless you, with nothing to do but try to get to the next point in my sermon. So the story begins like this. In West Philadelphia, born and raised, on a playground is where I spent most of my days. You know what? Chilling out, relaxing, maxing all cooling, shooting some b-ball outside. Nobody's helping me. Shooting some b-ball outside of the school when a couple of guys who were up to no good started making trouble in my neighborhood. I got in one little fight and my mom got scared. She said, you're moving with your auntie and uncle in Bel Air. I whistled for a cab and when it came near, the license press, license press, you're with me, right? Okay. Uh, 
First service, I told the story. I used to have a couple of guys that worked with me, and one day I was feeling kind of cool, and I said, hey, that's how I roll. And they said, David, you don't roll. Nothing about you rolls. <laughs> I, I don't roll. Never did roll. But I just did something with you. I just took you back to a memory, and you rejoiced in the Fresh Prince. Fresh Prince was a TV show. If you're like, I don't know what that whole two minutes was about. There was a show on TV with Will Smith. And in this story, this mom sitting in West Philly had something to do in a moment of terror, in a moment of worry, in a moment when she didn't know what to do, when she was in her room with no way out apparently. But she found a way out. Because in her storyline, and most people think about Will, they don't think about the mom that stayed back in Philly. But the mom in Philly was a single mom raising her kid in a place that she didn't really want to be because it was a danger zone. And one day, the only place she could offer her kid began to collapse on top of her. And the place he was supposed to be able to go after school to hang out while she was probably working to pay the bills, you following? To play became a place of violence. And he came home bloody and bruised with the name of somebody that he would not share because he knew mama was gonna go take care of business. Right? In that moment, what does she do? Does she crouch down and say, I don't know what to do. My baby, my baby. Odds are she did. But what seemed like a closed story, she began to think and rethink and rethink again about what her situation truly was and where she truly happened to be. Because in the story, the premise of the story is she remembered she had a sister, I think, and a brother-in-law all the way on the other country from Philadelphia all the way over to Bel Air. And she sent her son, who was trapped in a no-get-out, no-win situation, to a place where he could thrive. Didn't see it. She had to rethink it. She went with Aunt Viv and Uncle Phil. And somehow Jazz got there too. Who knows? So the situation goes where we find ourselves trying to find out how we rethink. Because what I did is you just rejoyed. Some of you didn't know what you were rejoying. You just experienced it. And some of you saw the rethinking of the moment. Paul says, hey, rethink, because when you rethink, you can totally change your reality. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 says the key to rethinking is humbling yourselves. Peter says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. He will lift you up out of the situation you're in. Cast all your anxieties and worries upon him, because he cares for you. Say those words. Say, he cares, he cares. for me. I love that passage because the reason we cast our cares and our anxieties on God is not just because, oh, he's God. If anybody can handle it, he can. It's true. He is God. And if anybody can handle it, he can. But we cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. The God of all creation cares for little old you. He cares about your situation. And he's not surprised you wound up in the motel room stuck with on the other side of your plate glass window some circumstance you don't know what to do with. But he says, come to me humbly. He's not bothered when you call. He's not put off when you call. He's not going, well, there they go again. They're little people and they need a big God. He says, this is perfect. This is exactly why I give myself to my children because I want them to come to me. Rethinking recalibrates your mind and reminds you of who God is and how he loves his children. Friend, God loves you, loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And when you rethink and you think about who he is, your situation can change. We're not talking about thinking happy thoughts. We're talking about thinking his thoughts. Okay? This is not just some moment to get yourself into some sort of religious situation. It's to go, no, the God of all creation loves me. He cares for me. In fact, he's not just loves me. He's just love. 
And if he's love, he's going to work this out for everybody the right way if they will yield to him. So, not only is your situation, though, the only thing on the other side of the door, the other thing on the other side of the window is an enemy who wants to take you out. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 through 5 says, The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments, those are words, and every lofty opinion, those are words, raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. You see, when you're spinning in worry, you allow Satan to come capture your thoughts. And in the ironic beauty of what God does, he says, hey, don't let those thoughts capture you. You take those thoughts captive. You take the authority as an anointed, saved child of God who is one with me, says the Father, and you go get after what you need to get after and don't believe Satan's lies that he whispers that says God is the bad guy in this moment. Don't let Satan belittle you or insist that, God, insist that God will not keep his promises? Don't accuse God of lying to you because Satan would have you do that? Don't let Satan convince you to deform what is wrong until it looks right? And by all means, do not let Satan convince you that hurting others is a way to protect yourself. Those things don't honor God. They're not consistent with who he is. So how do I do that, David? How do I truly rethink this moment? Because I'm sitting here, and I'm just one step from the fetal position trying to figure out what's going on. Now, I need you to work with me again. Because this next verse, I memorized in the New International Version. And you're going to read it in the, the, uh, the ESV. And it's going to sound like it's different. But for the sake of me being able to get through the next five minutes, I need you to work with the words I know in my head. Okay? So he says, finally, my brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, what is lovely, whatever is admirable, think on these such things. Think on these kind of things. I'm going to read it differently, and I'm going to read your ESV, but instead of saying whatever is true, I'm going to say if any shred is true. Brothers and sisters, if any shred is true, if any shred is honorable, if any shred is just, if any shred is pure, if any shred is lovely, if any shred is commendable, if there's any shred of anything excellent, if there's any shred of anything worthy of praise, think about these things. He says, whatever you can think about, think about something that honors who God is. If we're not careful, we convince ourselves of things that are not true. Because what the situation, whatever situation we're in right now seems so big that we can't imagine that God really is bigger. We've talked all this time about what does perspective look like? How do I get my tangerine to look like a tangerine and not look like an eclipse? By honoring who God is. I'm convinced that the key to Philippians, and I don't know why I would be given this passage instead of somebody who's better qualified to preach it, but I'm convinced that the key to Philippians, to finding joy, is counting as many times as I can all that God has done and all that God is. Because when I do that, my circumstance that seems so big becomes so small in light of who God truly is. God, what's true in this situation? What's true about, okay, let's just stop for a minute. Who's that person in your life that drives you bananas? Don't call their name out, please. It might be your spouse. That person that you're just ready to crawl most times. That person that you just can't get over. Scripture says, because God is good, what's true about that person that's good? What's noble about that person? What's right about that person? What's pure about that person? What's lovely What's admirable? If anything is excellent about that person, they may just have good hair. 
think on these things. Because the God of creation knows all those things, yet he shows grace to that person. And if God, my friend, has forgiven you of all the stuff you know that nobody else knows, how do we think we're supposed to stand up and be judge and jury of those things and say, I'm too holy to deserve this situation? God's love has come down in so many ways. Scripture says, Scripture says that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father. Every good and perfect gift. So everything that is true, everything that is noble, everything that is right, everything that is pure, everything that is lovely, everything that is admirable. If anything, everything, one shred is excellent or praiseworthy, that's a gift from God. So honor that person in your life as a gift from God. What? God, really? He says, yeah, really? Because I want that one. And you may be the most active path to get that person into the kingdom. So here's the trick. First service didn't get this one. So the hotel room's not about you, it's about God. It's about God having a chance to come through. And when he comes through, we can only worship him. But he says, before you can really worship me, I'd rather you worship me. Blessed are those who believe and don't see. Blessed are those who have a chance to walk in faith without even knowing why they're having faith. Friend, who, who in the room has had God do something good for you today, this week? Who woke up? In my job, thank you, put your hands down. Uh, I didn't expect that to happen. Um, on a regular basis, I have a chance to pray with a bunch of guys who are grateful to have one more breath. And I'm always amazed how often when I say, hey, who wants to pray for us? And nobody says pray, and I say, hey, pray. And they always start, always, 92.5% of the time. They start by, God, thank you for giving me breath today. Because most of the guys that I'm praying with in that moment because of the situation they're in really are on borrowed time. And your time is just as borrowed as theirs. It's a day given to you by a great God who loves you so much that he made you, yes, in a world that is going to be experiencing sin and a world that's going to be experiencing heartache and a world that's going to be experiencing worry because he wanted to come through for you. The God of the universe made you so he could be your hero now work is one thing it's a circumstance Uh, my title is one situation but what if you're worried about a person what if you got somebody on your mind that you just don't know what to do for them I want to show you a picture of God's character that's that's it's shown in Luke chapter 15 I believe I think the address is right but there are three pictures of the kingdom of God and Truly, the meaning of the text is Jesus was saying, if you want to know how much I love lost things and lost people, pay attention to this. But what I want you to also see, and this is kind of a sideline, not even the meaning or the application of the verses, kind of an implication of the verses, is as Christians, if you've said yes to Jesus and you've given your life to him to let him run the show, if that has happened, then our chief goal would be to be godly. To be like God. And look at what God did. The first picture in this story is about a lost sheep. A sheep that just wandered off foolishly. Just doing dumb sheep stuff. And God says I love dumb sheep. Enough to go leave the other 99 that had their right minds. And go get that one. And he doesn't say and I clocked it in the head. And I dragged it back by its leg. It says I picked him up and put him over my shoulder. Put her over my shoulders. It's it's gender neutral. Picked up my sheep and carried him home. So whatever song the sheep, the, the shepherd is singing, the sheep gets to hear. 
Whatever thing is on the shepherd's mind is very close to the sheep's experience. And God says to you, if you love somebody and they're off wandering around foolishly, you may need to go get them. Don't worry about them. Worrying is not the solution. Just go get them. Second piece, you may not be supposed to go get them. Not to go. The next picture is of a lady who has 10 coins and loses one. Now, it's not a foolish coin. It's not a dumb coin. The coin didn't do anything. A coin just fell. It just got misplaced. And there are times when people you know are just in the wrong place and they don't even know it. The lady did not get hysterical in the story. She turned up the lights, she got out her broom, and she sat on a path. And I don't know if she worked a grid or if she worked from the center out. I don't know if she started in the dark corners, but it says she turned on the lights so that she could see things she normally would not see and got after it. So sometimes going after that person to be godly like this lady is in the picture means you build a plan and you go get after it. So what do I need to do? I'm not going to be hysterical. I'm not going to go crazy. That person needs the Lord and has put me in their life to be a part of it. So, and they've not done anything wrong. So those of you who are parents know this. and We don't do it well all the time. Sometimes our kids come home, hey, how'd it go today? And they tell you how it went. And you're like, I can't believe you did that. And they didn't really do anything wrong. They just didn't do something wise. And instead of going, I cannot believe what you did. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. That's, I would never use that word with my kids. Never, never, never. <laughs> Except on Thursdays and, well. Instead of saying, I can't believe you did that, I would say, sure was easy to do that, wasn't it? Because you didn't see that coming. She just fell. He just fell. And you've got friends around you that you're worried about. They just fell. They weren't intending to walk away from God. They just, born with a sin nature, I'm pretty good at sinning, I sinned. Hey, did you know that was sin? I had no idea that was sin. All right, come on, let's go. You build a plan and you go to get who God loves. Now, this is the third picture, and this may strike some of you as a surprise, but I'm guarantee, I believe with all my heart that God wanted Fellowship Asheville to hear this this week. There's the story of the prodigal son. And in the story of the prodigal son, there are two sons. Um, one of them said, hey, I want all my stuff and I'm gonna go spend all the money that you've got for me. I'm gonna take the blessing that you've given me and I'm gonna go do what I'm gonna do. And the dad said, all right, go do what you're gonna do. The dad loved the son. The dad missed the son. But the dad never, and as much as he was probably tempted to worry about his son because he was living a life, the scripture says, was of debauchery, which says morally bankrupt. And that boy was out there doing what that boy was gonna do. The dad did not go get him. The dad did not go search for him. The dad stayed put. Knowing that his son had to experience some things before he would come to himself and then come back to God. Parent, uncle, aunt, you may have a wandering soul that you're worried about. But according to God's plan to be godly sometimes, and you have to seek God for this one to know which one you are in this moment. So this is not me telling you what to do. This is you hitting your knees and talking to the God of all creation who loves you as if you're the only one he ever created. And say, God, I know all that you've done before and I know who you are in this moment. Do I need to stay put or do I need to go? And I just want to tell you, God can do things for that loved one that you're worried about greater than anything you could generate on your own. And he will call his children home. The beautiful thing about that dad, though, is he didn't just say, forget it. I'm just going to get in the field. He may have been in the field, but when his son came back home, 
He spotted him from afar off, which means regardless of where the boy was and regardless of what the daddy was doing on the farm, he always had his eye cocked over to the chest, over to the driveway saying, is my boy coming? He was looking close enough that even, if, even though his son was far away, I don't know if he knew his gate, if he walked a particular way. I don't know if he happened to, he's like, I'm going to be looking for somebody that's miserable. It's a shame to come home. Because usually when you're going somewhere, you look at where you're going. Can you imagine those last 100 yards or 200 yards for that kid coming home? He was ashamed of himself. He was embarrassed. He's probably trying to screw up as much nerve as he could to say, Dad, I'm not worthy to be a son anymore. What I want to be is just a slave. I want to be your servant because I know you're a good boss. I know you're a good, good father. I need you right now. So don't write him off. You may have responsibilities that, that cause you to have to stay close to home. So stay home and keep your eye up into the corner. Always looking at the driveway because there's a strong possibility that our good God, who has done great things, is going to work in the life of that person that you love. Because let me tell you this, brother and sister. There is no way you love that wandering soul more than the God that made them. And if they are important to him, it is the safest place in the world for you to place that soul in the hand of God. So is it your kid? Is it your dad? Is it your ex? Give them to Jesus. Because he loves his children. When you're a little kid and there's a big storm, where do you go? To mama. Because it's just safer there. Because you know she loves you. And as a dad, I wish kids came to me for all that stuff, but they come to mama. But our heavenly father has arms big enough, a love wide enough. You are chosen, not forsaken. You are who he says you are. He is for you, not against you. He is who he says he is. Friend, he's calling you. I wish that all the songs we sang before we could sing after because the band led us in such a way into this text. Masterful. I don't know who picked the song set, but I have a feeling God had a hand in it because he prepared your heart to see the truth of God as a father who loves you, who is good, who has done good. It's bad grammar. He has done good things. That's good grammar. And he is good at his core. Satan would tell you, that the storm and the conflict and the trouble and the situation on the other side of the glass is too big for you. And you know what? Apart from God, it is. But God will use those things that are too big for you to drive them to him because he is a good father. And when the storm is raging, get up in his lap. There is no safer place to be. Amen? Our Father, our God, you are worthy of the worship in this house today. You are worthy of the worship in our hearts. You are worthy of the worship in our circumstances. We will not worship those circumstances and we will not worship the enemy. We come to you knowing that you have come through and that you are the God who comes through. So Lord, I lead your children today to place whatever they need to place at your altar and not in their minds, not in their hearts. I ask that you would untangle the mess that our hearts and minds can be with your love, which is greater than all. And I pray this in the strong name of Jesus who can make this all happen. Amen.